Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, this is going to be a really fun one. John and I, per usual, we were just talking before we started about how this actually takes a ton of research to come up with this. But what we're going to ultimately do is talk about the greatest seasons of all time, combined regular season and playoffs. And we will try to pick at the end of this, uh, our top three. We'll see if we make any good points that convince each other. I've got a rough idea of my top three, but I'm I'm trying to keep an open mind here. Let me ask you this, John, as we're starting, what is your... Give me some ideas of your overall methodology here. Sure. I mean, obviously, I started looking for awesome regular seasons and MVP seasons. I think if you're talking about the greatest seasons of all time, if you didn't win the MVP award that year, it's a little bit of a red flag that that we probably can't put it on the all-time altar. Uh, not in every single case, but I think, you know, certainly there's a discussion that needs to be had then of why didn't their, your contemporaries even think you were the best player that year. Um, uh, two things that I think were important were not just the level of performance, but the durability of the performance in terms of how many games a player was able to play that year. Um, for example, uh, to use a recent example, uh, Steph Curry's 2018 season was awesome and they won the championship, but he only played 51 games. Um, to use... Um, we get into winning the championship. I think winning matters. Playoff performance overall matters. Um, well, I, well, quickly, let me ask you this. How are you weighting regular season versus playoff performance? Uh, the regular season definitely matters more because it's a larger body of work. But it's hard for me. If if, if somebody bombed in the playoffs, it's hard for me to put yeah. them up on the pinnacle. You know? Yeah, that, that's how I kind of did it too. I thought the playoffs... Good playoff performance is the sine qua non of being on this list. And then, but you also have to have had an awesome regular season. We're talking about the greatest seasons of all time. I think you have to have had an understanding as you're going through it, watching this guy on a night to night basis that he's doing something historic this season. And yeah, if you have a great regular season and then you completely fall off in the playoffs or your team gets upset or whatever it is, it's difficult. Um, what about some of these seasons where guys, you know, had awesome regular seasons, just didn't really have the talent around them, did really well in the playoffs, but the team just you know lost before the NBA Finals. How, were you if willing you, to if consider you didn't win the championship because the guys around you weren't good enough? That's hard for yeah. me to hold against you as far as how great you were that season. And I think there's a few seasons in particular where that's relatively obvious that that was the case. But yeah, it's, I, it I, also yeah. it also factors in when we go back in a little bit to some of the Will Chamberlain discussions that we're likely to have. Yeah, no, I I think so. Um, 
it's tough for me especially if we're talking i'm going to definitely mention some of those seasons but if we're talking about a top three if you didn't win the championship that year it's tough for me to put it in the top three uh just because there are great seasons where they did win the championship and yeah you can say hey it wasn't their fault Uh, they didn't get there but they still you know the body of work is just larger and better for these seasons where the guys did win the championship and so it's hard for me to to put a season where you didn't at least make the nba finals in the top three if we're gonna uh look look forward here you know maybe if it's one of these things where you know you were playing the other best team that year and you lost in the conference finals and you would have won the championship clearly if you get through it uh to, to the finals then maybe you can make an exception there but um uh, any other just kind of overall formulaic things that uh, stuck out to you before we start this process? Uh, not overly. I mean, I did, you know, eras are different in the league. And, and sure. I think you have to take that into account a little bit in terms of not just the level of competition, but in terms of just overall how the game was played. And I think we're going to get into this a little when we talk about some of the perimeter players and bigs from previous eras. The thing that stuck out to me is there's a lot of great players who just never quite put it together in the same season with the great just, you know, top 10 level of regular season all time and top 10 level of playoffs all time right like uh Kawhi Leonard for example you know amazing 2019 playoffs regular season not really competitive Dirk Nowitzki never really was able to do that best season was the year he didn't have a good finals yeah yeah uh well and his best regular season I think they got upset in the first round by the Warriors so is it was uh that was pretty up and then he had a great postseason in 2011 but that uh you know the, the regular season wasn't that amazing um even Kobe, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find where he had an all-time level of regular season statistically and an awesome playoff run in the same year. Some of his best statistical seasons were when he just wasn't on good teams and, you know, they ended up losing in the first round. So that it was kind of tough for him to make it. Kareem is actually another one. Some of his best years, he just didn't have the talent around him. So there's a, a, Dr. J had some of his best seasons in the ABA. So there's a lot of players who may not show up on this list just because they don't have that great combination of playoffs and regular season yeah absolutely all right let's uh the way we're going to do this john and i are just going to go back and forth nominating seasons here in a relatively random order oh uh one yeah. thing uh yes. so we have a limit of two seasons per player ah uh, yes we're, yes we're, we're trying to get a little bit of player diversity in this so we're, we're going to cap it at two per player yeah i i think that's fair and it'll be an interesting discussion of which two we decide to pick um but I guess once once we both nominated two, then we, then we should be done. But uh, yeah. with some of these players, I'm going to start off with one. Probably the only player, the only season from this player that really qualifies. Uh, but one that probably doesn't get talked about enough to me is Shaquille O'Neal's '99 2000 season. Okay, this is this is an interesting one because I was I was going through Shaq's stuff, and I'm I'm interested in your take on this. Far and away his best regular season. Um, although a year later was the year when he just completely demolished the league in the playoffs and it wasn't even funny. His his playoffs in this 2000 season was the Lakers' first title and he had the big dunk in the Portland game. Um, but it, it wasn't the same overwhelming demolition from the Lakers uh, that it might have been a year later. Now, you could also argue, though, that Shaq's contribution to this season was more important because they definitely wouldn't have won or come close to winning without him, given how close the Portland and Indiana series were, those last two series. Well, based on uh, one uh, BS stat called PER that I, I've never uh, I never put much stock in it personally, but you know, some people do, uh, 30.5 PER, that was actually the best of the 
the Lakers' three championship runs yep. for him. Um, I thought that was his best year defensively in terms of just uh, his being in the best shape played the most games overall during the regular season they go 67 and 15 that's really the only all-time regular season that that group had and worth noting Kobe is uh, only I think like 20 21 uh, yeah, at this yeah. point I mean Kobe wasn't really Kobe quite yet he was yeah. definitely like he was a distant second banana that year yeah he was averaging like 20 a game they had Glenn Rice's on the team as well who would depart the year after and he was supposed to be like the third star the supporting cast in that team was not good so i i mean i i actually i lived in portland at the time so i went to the three games in the conference finals in portland and was following that whole series intently the portland had the rest of the lakers uh team completely outclassed like it wasn't even funny it was one of the portland had one of the deepest teams in nba history that year and the lakers basically had two guys and you know like rick fox (laughs) right and uh and the way they won that series was just that Shaq was so dominant that it opened so many holes uh, that you had to cover up for the other guys to get open shots. And you really saw, especially that comeback in Game 7, once Sabonis fouled out, Shaq was just such a mismatch against everyone else that it was like it was like playing on a tilted floor almost. Yeah, it, it was really incredible. And Shaq, he forced the other team to play their terrible backup centers as well because everyone would always get in foul trouble. He, he just, I mean, one of the, and then his, uh, he had like, I think multiple 40 and 20 games in the finals against Indiana as well. They, Rick Smith's uh, newsflash was not able to stop him. Um, so I, I was, uh, I thought that's really an underrated great season. And especially because he was at his best defensively, brought it really every night in the regular season that first year under Phil Jackson. And and Shaq is one of the most dominating players of all time at his peak. It was, yeah. his peak wasn't that long, but it was also, you could argue, kind of a downtime for the league. You know, I mean, who who is the best player that he defeated on another team in those playoffs? You know, you'd be hard pressed to really find anyone who was that incredible. I mean, that Portland team was really good, but they yeah, didn't have yeah. a, a yeah. It would have been it would have been Tim Duncan, I guess, but the Spurs weren't yeah. really the Spurs yet. David Robinson was on the way down, and yeah, D- the other Duncan guys missed weren't, that weren't playoffs. Up yet. Duncan yeah. missed that playoffs with injury, actually. So. Um, Although they did completely house Duncan and the Spurs uh, the next year in '01, but oh, embarrassed yeah. them. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, that's why I was talking. That's why I was um, alluding to to that playoffs. I mean, that demolition in the in the conference finals in particular was insane because that Spurs team actually was the one seed <laughs> in the regular season, and yeah. it was a historic annihilation. Um, just to, so we have the stats: a regular season, thirty point six PR, fifty eight percent true shooting uh Shaq would sometimes have better e-field goal percentage than true shooting due to his uh free throw issues just incredible amount of usage for a big man 31 percent usage and a lot of black ink uh clearly by far the best player in the NBA that season uh during the the regular year and that was uh his only MVP I think there are many other times during that period that three-year period where people if you ask people hey who's the best player in the NBA everyone would have said Shaq but he didn't do it in the regular season those next two years so and uh, so this season was interesting too career high 79 games and career high 3,000 one hundred sixty-three minutes. So, 
that de- definitely the most he was able to stay on the court in his entire career yeah this is already trending towards a two-parter by the way <laughs> i think <laughs> if we if we just got through one one player season um okay your turn for a nominee here i'm gonna go with michael jeffrey jordan the question is what season am i gonna go with right yeah but, should, should we have that debate now and and we can we can each of us can pick one maybe okay okay fair enough you're, you're saying there were two that are worthy <laughs> <laughs> are we sure <laughs> Yeah, well, what is the season that sticks out the most to you? So what I struggled with, there were two. Um... But the the one that I think has has to go at the top is that first championship season because yes. he was so awesome in the playoffs that year. I mean, thirty two per sixty percent true shooting in the playoffs. I mean, that is absurdly ridiculous. Yeah. And Fifteen and two in the playoffs that season. I, I just think he was at the 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 peak of his powers. Um, you know, still physically, uh, but also had progressed from where he had been earlier in his career as um more of an individual player and then grew into into more of a guy who could who could fit in around the guys when he around him when he had to but still completely take over games whenever he felt like it and yeah the the other thing that stands about about jordan is there were basically no dominant guards in that stretch until they loosened the rules like for a guard to dominate the league like this was almost unheard of yeah and i mean to you know he's shooting 53 percent from the field that season i think like like raw field goal percentage i mean that's yeah. that's pretty incredible yeah and and i've i'm going to cite this a number of times but uh, uh my podcast partner on the uh covid19 podcast ben taylor did his awesome series uh on his site backpicks.com i highly recommend everyone check it out uh and he was able to go back and kind of reconstruct some plus minus stuff uh, he calls it with or without you for games that players missed and also he, he looks at it and the available on basketball reference too just what the overall offensive performance of these teams was and jordan uh didn't really they didn't really start ramping up to like outstanding levels of offense until the second half of the 89 90 season so some of those seasons like 88 where he won the mvp they won 50 games 89 those doug collins years they were more defensively focused they didn't have anyone on those teams but jordan was kind of more doing a, a floor raising act he took a lot of bad double team shots and he i think 91 to me that was the one that stuck out to me too is like the one jordan season that i would pick because that was probably the last year that he really had the absolute other otherworldly athleticism he was 28 at those nba finals when he was still just dunking on people the crazy acrobatic layups it, it was it kind of started to taper off after that he was still really good but and yeah. then he actually combined playing a, a smarter style with teammates who could actually help him so that was and that year was the year he had uh, his best stats in the playoffs that team was 61 and 21 during the regular season they had the point differential of a 63 win team and uh yeah i, I thought that was the the height of michael Jordan. i mean he's guarding magic johnson in the finals as well like um, yeah he was awesome defensively too uh yeah. this is this is also if you're looking at regular season this is the final year of his career where he had a pr in the 30s and a true shooting over 60 yeah which is again and he's doing that with uh you know without the benefit of the three-point line in a lot of it's a high offensive environment to be sure the other reason i would give a little more credence to this season than some of the later ones is by 95 96 the league was really kind of watered down due to expansion yeah. and it, so the that 72 win bulls team he didn't really have that great of a playoffs 
that year same thing with the year after he had some huge moments and the offensive environment was going down but it still was not didn't have that same crazy athleticism so he was uh he was awesome um the question is what is your second best jordan season that's really where i'm at a little bit of a loss do you go with the pre-championship years or do you i don't i can't go with the late the the last three peat he just wasn't as good then yeah i so um, i'm inclined for 87 88 which was the first really like holy shit year he had and yeah. it was also the year he hit the shot over elo they lost in the conference finals no no that, i'm sorry that was uh sorry to correct you but that was uh 88 89 is the year that he hit the shot over elo they made it to the conference finals at 88 he won mvp um but 89 was the year that they beat cleveland and, and went to the finals finals or the east finals oh you're right they lost whoa, whoa, whoa wait 88 sorry but I, I, this is this is like you know no, you, you remember know every stat you read wrong. as an eight-year-old I just pulled so. it up. we're both wrong 88 he hit the shot over cleveland but they lost in the second round to detroit no I, you're, you're i know i'm right about this because it was uh 89 was the they beat cleveland in the first round in 88 but that was at home that wasn't that that season 89 oh, okay is okay. when they when you he hit me. the uh you got me the the shot sorry i, I did grew up in chicago at the time i do have to be a be a stickler for for these details um, i got i got duped by seeing the uh 3-2 over cleveland in uh in yeah i completely forgotten they played them two years in a row um so yes yeah, so yeah 89 that was the year eight rebounds eight assists he played point guard the last like 30 games of the season they got craig hodges as a shooter and he had like you know a, a period where he was averaging he had like eight straight triple doubles he was averaging uh you know like 12 assists a game during a, a period there at, at the end um so yeah that that might be my my second pick he still though was but my other uh option was gonna be 1993 yeah i mean the that last season before the first retirement when he still when he still really had it and he was good in the playoffs that year and obviously they won the championship uh really stepped up his three-point game that year actually um and, yeah and that's a, that's an interesting season uh well and so he had uh the highest usage that he ever had during the regular season was back up to 32 a game after he'd gone down to uh or 32 points a game after he'd gone down to 30 the year before and i thought that was his probably his second best playoff run of that period especially against that knicks team in the which was one of the greatest Bru- defensive teams brutal of all great time. eastern finals unless you're a charles smith fan and then <laughs> that finals against phoenix that was a good finals and phoenix had a really good team and jordan was absolutely the difference in that series like he always is um even on the final play the reason uh paxton ended up so open in the first place is because they trapped jordan in the backcourt right yeah now uh he did uh suffer a decline in the regular season in true shooting but did did ramp it up a little so that would probably be my second second highest one there for for him so 92 93 but um i don't know that that would get into my top three i think i'm guessing 91 is probably going to be in my top three i'm thinking okay but um so so you you want to go with 89 instead the 25 year old are you uh you know what you know what i i conflated two different seasons though that was my problem so i i I think i'm going to take your 93 yeah, if I had always thought until I, I really went through what the team was doing that those years when he was putting up the crazy stats before the championship years might have been when he actually was at his best. But I think that uh, when you look at the overall offensive performance and not just what he was doing, uh, that he was a better player a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and maybe he never had the chance to do that because the team was terrible. I get that. But I, I think, and when you also just throw in some of the anecdotal reports of him being more open to passing and setting up his team, 
teammates uh, as you got into the early 90s um all right here's my next nominee right. kareem abdul jabbar 1971 yeah what a season right third year expansion team he leads him to 66 wins in the championship and he might have even had a better regular season in 72 when they had a, actually a better point differential but lost to the lakers in six games who had won the 33 game winning streak the 69 and 13 uh but the the bucks actually outscored the lakers in that six game loss but kareem's numbers were actually pretty ugly in those mm-hmm. playoffs uh wilt actually did a really nice job defending him so uh i went with 71 they did win the championship uh this is uh, per ben site that uh the 71 bucks set the record for relative offensive rating 6.7 points better than league average efficiency and if you go back and look at some of these efficiencies in the 60s there just wasn't as much stratification throughout the league and now as you got into the crazy expansion of the early 70s that would change some that's a little bit of a demerit for Jabbar's season but uh it was just it was really hard to get much separation from the rest of the league when you're looking at you know at times an eight-team league that that expanded throughout the 60s and so to be that much better than the league average offensively at that time was uh really really impressive and his individual stats that season uh, were awesome yeah, I mean, I I don't know what there is to argue about. I mean, that uh, clearly the, to me the even though it was early, it was the best season of Kareem's career for from start to finish and a remarkable one in terms of just that coming into that franchise and lifting them to a championship immediately. I mean, I know he had help. He had they actually by the third year, they had some pretty good players in that team in terms of Bobby Dandridge and uh, the late version of Oscar Robertson and uh John McLaughlin. I mean, they had some players, but still, I mean, he he was the he was the whole reason they were good yeah absolutely and i mean he if you look at his playoff stats actually you know they weren't unbelievable that season but they did win the championship they were far and away the best team if you had to just ask me though like when was kareem actually at his best i would probably go with like 77 range when uh but the problem was they got beaten up in the west finals that year by bill walton and the blazers uh and, but and I, walton they, outplayed kareem uh yeah i mean that was a big part of that yeah but i mean the the numbers in that playoffs for Kareem even with that loss were shocking 32 PER 65% true shooting uh just crazy um numbers for him but they just didn't have as much around him in that that season until magic came in in uh in 79 80 but i think for me uh that was just you know 32 year old cream was just a little bit too late he wasn't the same defensively or on the boards as you got into the 80s so um i mean that 77 season was awesome but i'm uh i i it's just when you get swept in the conference finals it's tough yeah yeah um but yeah so that 71 season uh give me your next one here uh one of the most most underrated and forgotten seasons by a perimeter player and probably the best season by a perimeter player in the pre-Jordan era. 1963-1964, Oscar Robertson. You had Russell and Chamberlain both in their prime, and Oscar won the MVP that year with a 55-win Cincinnati Royals team, which I believe was his best team in the Cincinnati era. Um, he personally had the best numbers of his career. Did not average a triple-double as he had done two years earlier, but only missed by one rebound? I'm sorry, a tenth of a uh, rebound. Yes. <laughs> uh, 31, 11, and 9.9. Led the league in assists, 
led the league in free throw percentage. Uh, had a good. They lost in the conference finals to the Celtics, like everyone did then. But he had a good playoffs too, um, and that was that was the best team of the of the Cincinnati era, and I think it was the best season of Oscar's career overall, and one that's kind of been forgotten to the sands of time. Oscar was extremely ball dominant through that period in the '60s when he was basically you know not by himself because it was a nine-team league, so everybody had an all-star next to him. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was yeah. tough not to, uh, but they were always at the top of the league in offense he had a very ball dominant style but that actually worked as far as creating for his team i mean and if you go back and look i mean there's not players averaging like 10 assists back then you know it was a lot harder to do there was no spacing i mean now everything's inflated in terms of the raw numbers because they're probably playing about 120 possessions a game uh, back then yeah Yeah. but so so that's always important to remember when you look at the raw stats but i mean they're the number one offense or the number two offense every year this year they were number one uh but worth noting that uh the number one offense at that time had a 99 offensive rating and that's by basketball references <laughs> formula which is actually like a little bit inflated probably their real offensive rating was probably in the mid 90s to be number one so just just worth noting there when you when we talk about will 61 62 season we'll probably get back to just yeah how how much higher the raw stats were due to the pace but how much lower the uh overall offensive efficiencies were at that time yeah absolutely i'd like to thank masterclass for continuing to sponsor the show master masterclass.com slash per easy to remember slash per because john invented it is your way to get started with them and if you go to that link as i just did right now as i'm talking they'll tell you that for a limited time you can buy one annual masterclass all access pass for yourself and you get one free to give you can learn from the best in the world with two passes for 180 dollars each class has over 20 lessons on average per class they have 80 plus classes now Some of the latest, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Scientific Thinking and Communication, perhaps apropos these days. Chris Vosh on The Art of Negotiation. Martin Scorsese on Filmmaking. Natalie Portman on Acting. Steph Curry on Shooting and Ball Handling. Annie Leibovitz on Photography. Alice Waters, near and dear to my heart, with their awesome restaurant Chez Panisse here in Berkeley, where I live. It's a great gift that someone can use now whether it's for someone with an interest in a particular subject or just a a polymath it really is a a fantastic service the highest quality online education that there is from the best in the world in their fields once again the way to get started with them is masterclass.com slash pr don't forget that slash pr link to let them know that you came from us what's up sports fans matt peck here host of locked on bulls and i want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast huge fan is a new serious xm original podcast where stars talk sports each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Here's another one that we can throw in. Okay. 2006, Dwayne Wade. Ooh. 
I remember you wrote something at one point that rated his finals as the best finals that anyone had ever had. I think this is before you uh, you went to. This was in my first round of Grizzly. ESPN. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean that, that many people would say, well, he was just bailed out by the refs, but. I mean, the stats of the stats, you did what you did. I mean, that was one of the greatest finals ever. Um, they had an awesome playoffs. They beat a 64 win Pistons team in the conference semi or the conference finals, but he didn't quite have the level of all time regular season necessarily. But that, I think I wanted to get this in there because what Dwayne Wade was at his absolute peak. I think needs to be acknowledged i would say actually that his best season was probably better than kobe bryant's best season didn't have anywhere near the longevity brian is a better yeah. player overall uh, but uh, i thought that especially at that those finals were the absolute peak he was just as unstoppable as it gets yeah i mean you 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 were playing off him and it didn't matter he just got wherever he wanted to go and was also probably the shot blocking small guard ever yeah yeah he is uh i mean six foot four six ten windspan but still yeah he he was a very disruptive defender uh, at that point um let me give you the stats on on him for that year just so we got a little context age 24 season 27 points a game 6.7 assists this is the year that he really kind of took over the team from Shaq. Mm-hmm. 28 PER, 58% true shooting at a time when the league average was probably in the 52% range. And playoff stats. 36 points per 100 on 59 true shooting. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the true shooting, especially again in the playoffs, for his efficiency to go up. Yeah. 23 playoff games. Pretty impressive. All right, you're up sixth, next, sir. Sixth oh, in yeah. the MVP voting. Yeah. Which is interesting. That, uh, won it that year i believe no that was the second nash year oh that's right they met in the conference finals you are correct yeah yeah which that second nash one i was never never totally comfortable with that one yeah nash nash is an interesting one um i think i think Shaq really hurt Dwayne wade's mvp share that year because people still thought of it as Shaq's team and so they were more inclined to vote for him well, and they also, they had a down regular season that year. They, they got all these weird guys on the team, you know, like Gary Payton was on the team. Antoine now. Like they, Walker, they struggled yeah. out of the gate. They made the coaching change like 20 games in or whatever. And then they, then they hit their stride, but they still only ended up around 52 wins. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, it was a huge upset when they beat the Mavs and it maybe even a bigger upset when they beat the Pistons. Then beating were, Detroit was definitely, yeah. yeah, that was a huge upset. Yeah. That was well celebrated in the media media community among those who were traveling to the finals that year <laughs> uh okay your turn gonna give you uh, another forgotten one an oldie but goodie here 1975-76 julius irving aba aba season that i think belongs in this discussion uh led the nets to the title in the final aba season the aba at that time was arguably better on a per a per capita or per team basis than the nba the teams they folded in and the players they folded in uh essentially uh, out of six teams produced half the all-stars the next season um Irving was really the only significant player on that Nets team. Um, you had Super John Williamson, you know, you had Swen Nader, you had a couple other guys, but I mean, Irving was the guy, uh, by far the best player in the league at that point, really at his absolute athletic pinnacle. Um, the thing people don't really think about with Julius Irving, he shot 80 from the line that year, shot 33% from three on low volume, but still ABA had the three ball that year. Um, nearly six assists per hundred. 
like he was just he was just all around awesome. It wasn't just him scoring and dunking. And I I think you know the seventies was kind of a low point for the league in general. But I think and part of it was that the leagues were split. But I think Irving and Kareem were clearly the two best players of that decade. Yeah, I think that's that's very clear. And yeah, he he carried that team one of the all-time best kind of floor-raising carry jobs uh, that we've seen in that 76 oh and he won the dunk contest too let's not forget that uh the the inaugural aba dunk contest. oh was that the year he took off from the free throw line yeah yep yeah 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 uh okay back to me here it's about time we mentioned this person lebron james uh yes. we, we can we can only pick two of his seasons to me i think 2013 clearly has to be one of those two would you agree uh let me make sure i got the right season pulled up here was that their first title second title that's the 66 and 16 in the regular season it's uh the 27 game winning streak and one of uh, maybe his most efficient season uh, right up there that uh, 12 13 and 14 were all incredibly efficient seasons from from lebron he was shooting the three ball pretty well dragged a miami team with Dwayne Wade on one leg to the championship in the end uh, over the Spurs, who are also another all-time great team. Yeah, epic, epic playoff series for sure. Those twelve and thirteen series seasons are so so tough to pick from. But when I put them side by side, you're right. Initially, initially, I was kind of going with my heart that the first one was the one that might matter more. But as I look at it again, that was a that was the lockout year. 12-13 was a full season, and his numbers were better. Uh, 31.6 PER and that's 64 true shooting. I mean, that that's impressive. Uh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one to argue against. The more I look at, I mean, I think both those seasons are certainly worthy of of this discussion in this context. That second one might be a little bit more impressive. Well, and I think that 27-game winning streak, people kind of forget how awesome that was now because the Warriors uh, had their 24-game winning streak to start the the 16 season. But that was just massive. They had, it was an incredible clutch season as well. Like, they would have these games where they'd be down 15 in the second half. I I remember one game in Cleveland where they just ramped up the defense. That was probably, to me, LeBron at pretty close to his defensive apex. The next year, 14 is when he kind of went into the more chill mode in the regular season but that was like he he had won the championship the year before came in no monkey on his back absolute confidence and then had a a very very solid place he had a few foibles in the finals against the spurs but then just decided to start taking what the defense gave him in, in terms of jump shots and uh ultimately his playoff stats for that year played 960 minutes just in the playoffs 59 wow. percent true shooting did have a little bit lower usage that year you can make the argument that his playoffs in 11 12 were better um he, he had that iconic game against the celtics in uh, game six to bring the series back without Chris Bosch uh, when they were down 3-2. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, and his overall stats are a little bit better in 12, but I think they beat better teams in uh, in 13 as well. So, and the, the much superior regular season. And, and that was one of those seasons where as you're going through it, you're like, man, like this is just unbelievable what he's doing on a night-to-night basis with this team. Yep, yep. I, uh, I want to talk about another LeBron season. Yes. Because I actually think it might have been as good an overall season, even though it didn't end well. 08-09? Yeah. 
They, so the best PER season of his career, he played 81 games over 3,000 minutes. Um, certain, I think it was definitely his best Cleveland season. They won 66 games. They won their first eight playoff games. I think they won all of them by double digits, if I'm not mistaken, against weak opposition, but still. Um, and then they get to the conference finals, and the Orlando Magic cannot miss a shot. And you go back and look at this series. LeBron's playoff stats that season were freaking awesome uh, for that whole season. And in the Orlando series alone, he averaged 38-8-8 on 59% true shooting, and they lost. <laughs> okay? And yeah. he even hit, he hit the game-winning shot in Game 2 of that series. But the Magic, just they, they just couldn't miss. They had Dwight, and the Cleveland had nobody to deal with Dwight um, and then they couldn't miss they shot 40% on threes for the series and just basically beat Cleveland with offense yeah and that was Richard Lewis as a stretch four one of the first teams that really had a stretch four who was that high of volume and yeah that was a huge upset at the time they and lost. it was also it wasn't Mikhail Petras shooting 17 for 36 on threes for the series yeah yeah there's <laughs> uh um but yeah I mean his 37 PR for that playoff run i think that's the highest of all time of more than like 10 games or so I'm, uh, I'm, i i don't i I'm pretty have to sure double that's check it. it yeah but yeah i mean that's it was just completely insane I, it, look, look at this this free throw rate 64 percent free throw rate <laughs> in the playoffs for a perimeter player i mean it's just it's absolutely insane yeah um yeah, completely yeah and that was but are you willing to go with, with that or 2016. 20, 2016, LeBron. Yeah, oh, you might remember uh, be, beating a 73 win team in the uh, in the NBA Finals that year. If you're, uh, yeah, I mean, God, it's tough because he was so chill in the moments that didn't matter. Yeah, that's where it's really difficult. That I mean, game, and to me, that game yeah. seven he played against the Warriors, though. Like, well, those five, was, the five, six, and seven might be the greatest three-game run that any he, player. He was ever so had. far and away the best player on that on the court in those games, while playing against other awesome players. One one of whom will come up later in this discussion. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's an interesting one because it, it's because yeah. the, the the finish was so amazing, but the whole body of work in that year, man, that's like. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it, like, they were playing poorly enough that his coach got fired during the season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah i mean it's it's tough and that's to me when people talk about the lebron versus jordan debate uh i i think it's getting to the point where it's pretty close but where jordan clearly has the advantage over lebron was he didn't take these regular seasons off yeah he he didn't have that that's totally the one of the key differences between i mean there are others obviously there are eras you know it's a little easier for a perimeter player now but i've all but jordan just wanted to kick your ass every single night it didn't matter if it was january 18th back to back again the Washington Bullets or whatever. He was just still. He was. He was a total killer. Um, so I, you know, you so, really have to uh, yeah. split hairs when you get into these all-time great players. But that's you know, that's a little bit of the distinction for me. Well, so I will cede to your 0809 as the second LeBron entry. Okay. Uh, based, I, I think you made a good point there. Um, David Harrison here, the Locked On Washington Football Team podcast, celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich. Thanks to Dave's killer 
bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store this is one that's got to be in there larry bird's 1986 yeah you know i was looking at the bird seasons trying to figure out uh which 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 one was the best and where it rates i think 86 was was the bet he had a great playoffs and then he was he was the it was the third of his three straight mvps it was the best celtics team of that era um it was unfortunate they couldn't play the lakers in the finals that year because houston upset them but that i i think that i gave that a slight nod over 84 yeah i think so he, he really just seemed like he was at the ab- absolute apex of his game we might be talking about 1985 as at his best if he hadn't like gotten into a bar fight and like messed up his hand in the middle of the playoffs yeah yeah absolutely. um and, and because like yeah 85 was the year he had that crazy 60 point game against the hawks um uh, but that was i mean the 40 and 1 at home uh 67 and 15 never particularly challenged in the playoffs at any point that year and uh it was really before the health problems had yeah, yeah. caused they problems because the back he had the back issue two years later and uh i'm sorry three years later only played six games and then it was you know kind of quickly down the chute from there um but yeah i mean i, I think and you know his raw numbers in terms of average averages were down a little bit that was 26 points a game instead of 29 the previous year but they had a lot more depth uh, and you know he was playing with other great players but yeah, that was... they were just a much better overall team that year. The um, yeah. the thing you always wonder with Bird is if they treated the three-point line now the way, you know what I mean? If he was able to play in a modern offense that valued the three oh, yeah. with his shooting ability. I mean, he was shooting 40% from three at a time when nobody did that. And he was... 90 from the line every year. I mean, we're talking about an absolute all-time great shooter. Uh, he and probably Rick Barry and maybe Calvin Murphy are the three guys you'd really love to see play now with the with the three-point line uh, because they'd be so much more dominant than they already were. But yeah, if we're, if we're nominating a bird season, I think I think that has to be the one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know that that will be a serious contender for me, uh, but it, I think it has to be in there. Um, what's your next one here? I mean, if we're going to talk about bird, we almost can't help but talking about magic next, right? Absolutely. Um, what, what is your nominee for the best magic season? Well, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with 86, 87. Uh, he won the MVP. It was by far his best statistical re- regular season. It was actually the only season he played 80 games. Believe it or not, I think it was his best playoffs too. Uh, by this point in his career, his jump shot had developed. To the earlier in his career, teams would play off him and dare him to shoot and stuff. And this was really uh, he was 27 by this season. This was really where he got to the point where you couldn't just lay off him. Uh, he also made the most important shot of that finals. I believe yep. was that was that the finals he hit the hook shot over McHale. Yeah, yeah. Game, yeah. game four puts him up three one. Basically yeah. ends the series. Yeah, I was rooting for Garden. Boston that series. That killed me when they blew that lead and uh, and and the Lakers came back and won that because that that was the series right there. Yeah. 
that was that I, I as I look at it, that season was clearly the pinnacle of Magic's career. Uh, even though you know they won they won five championships while he was there, but that was he was the best player on that team. You know, earlier on, it was between him and Kareem. He was by, he was by far the best player on that 80, 87 team. He was there in all the key moments. He was played the eighty games. Was the MVP in the regular season. Like that was his defining year. Yeah, absolutely. And they that was probably their best regular season team of the era. It was a... Yeah, 65 wins and just blew through the Western Conference playoffs. Not that the West... I mean, the West was almost the Laker Invitational at that point. It was it was opposite the way it is now. The East was much stronger back then. Uh, oh, you don't think that having to play a 39-win team in the, in the conference finals would indicate that the opposition wasn't that Qu- great? Quality, not quantity, Nate. Come on, that was yeah. A, so they only, that was a worthy the, Sonics team. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they only lost three games in the whole playoffs and set a, a career high playoff high for PR. They're the number one offense that year as they're they're at the top of the league in offense basically for his entire career he had cut down on the turnovers as well over 60 percent true shooting in the playoffs uh, and obviously uh, hit the biggest shot as you mentioned so yeah i I think that's pretty clearly the best magic season Uh, although he had some other great seasons as well uh, in the late 80s his 89 90 season was awesome but they got upset in the second round by uh, phoenix uh, that year in what was one of the weirder series of all time I, i would like to go back and watch that at some point to see how it was that they lost because they were they had as good of a regular season that year as they ever did see, that actually was a really good phoenix team too like yeah. it's almost a bigger mystery how phoenix lost to portland in the next round portland team was good too they, they, they would they, win yeah yeah they were but they, they might have only been the third or fourth best team in the conference that year that they, they barely got by david robinson in the second round that year yeah that was Rod, a, that, that was the year rod strickland threw away the pass at the end of game seven yeah i mean 88 is when uh the west started kind of becoming the west that it's been most of the way since then um when the jazz really came into their own the mavs were really good that year and then you started having like that phoenix team those portland teams uh david robinson comes in that that's when it really got to be pretty crazy um akeem elijah 1994 you know i really struggled with akeem because i didn't feel like there was that one year where he was you know where he was really like all time even though i mean clearly an all-time great player um, the the it's what's interesting with Kareem with Hakeem. He was good in the '94 playoffs. That was their first championship. The '95 playoffs was when he was just absurdly good. But the Rockets' yeah. regular season that year wasn't that good. They were the sixth seed, and then they got Clyde Drexler at midseason. They narrowly escaped actually in each of the first two rounds and kind of gained momentum from there. And then in the last two rounds, he kicked the shit out of David Robinson and uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, that was that's what kind of made it tough because they were a really good team in 94 i think they were the two seed 58 games but then they go up against the knicks and he was he outplayed patrick ewing in that series but still it wasn't quite as overwhelming statistically I mean, part of the issue i think why he was so good in 95 was they moved robert ori to the starting power forward they traded otis thorpe for drexler and now they yeah. they really went to that space the floor with four shooters around him and that's why he became so unstoppable in those playoffs whereas the year before they kind of were grinding it out a little bit more with two traditional bigs yeah i mean 
it's it's tough, but I you can make a case for either year. I I, I don't know what yeah. to do there. I, yeah, I, it's a he 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 did win the that was the year he won the MVP though, right? It was ninety four. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, a little bit later of a peak than you might expect. I mean, he was someone where some of his best years might have just been toiling in anonymity around a really bad Houston team. As I they mean, went as from, late as like oh, as like ninety one, maybe even into ninety two, they were talking about maybe trading him and that he might yeah. want to get out of there and stuff and then all of a sudden it just it just bloomed yeah and he was never the most efficient guy in the regular season also like a very underrated defensive player he won defensive player of the year in 1994 but oh, historically he was, he had, he, yeah he was an awesome defensive player yeah i don't think uh, we talk about have, his defense at all. and one of those guys even though he was a center in that day where his lateral quickness would have allowed him to do all the like switching and whatnot that we do in in today's era yeah yeah, and while he wasn't that efficient in the regular season, he maintained his efficiency in the playoffs because he was he was just taking and making really hard shots, and so that's a lot harder to shut down in the playoffs. You know, I mean, some of those like fadeaways on the baseline, for example, that you just you had baseline no answer fade. for. He had the jump out. hook and the baseline fade. He actually like for a dominant player, he didn't get to the rim like as much as you might think, but he just had these shots out of the post that they were either going to go in or not, but you weren't really going to do much about it. Yeah, well, especially if the referees were never going to call him for a trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, he, that's he right. Patrick everyone, can, everyone can back share there. stories about that. I'm sure. Uh, okay, yeah. So, I mean, that probably won't be a serious contender. But I, I thought he he needed to get mentioned a little bit. I, I still think he doesn't get talked about enough. Um, particularly with his defensive impact because yeah, everyone I mean, knows what he was as a post-up guy but and it was just such a horrific era of basketball in general at that time all right well so we, we're still gonna have a bunch more nominees here let's do uh, a few more and then we will end up probably taking this to a part two so it's uh your turn here it's my turn okay uh i'm gonna say clearly the best season of this player's career even though it did not result in the championship it actually could have possibly if his, some of his teammates had stayed healthy uh kevin garnett 2000 2003-04. Yes. With Minnesota, was clearly the best player in the league. Carried, I mean, carried a Minnesota team that started Trenton Hassel and uh, wait, they, they, they had they had basically three three decent players. Michael Ola Candy started 25 games for this team. Trenton Hassel started 74. Uh, Irvin Tragic Johnson started 47. Mark Madsen Whoa. started a dozen. There, I mean, there were some bad players around him. They won 58 games, were the one seed in the West, um, beat a fully loaded Sacramento team in seven in a, in a thrilling series in the second round, lost to the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe in six games despite losing Sam Cassell and... Um, it wasn't just Sam Cassell. They lost the backup, too. They were playing Derek Martin as the starting point guard, even though he had played yeah. 16 games in the regular season for them. Uh, I think it was Troy Hudson got hurt, maybe? Uh, uh, that sounds right to me, yeah. And uh, so they were, they were really shorthanded in that series, and... I mean, KG was just so, so good. Just his abs. I mean, the the imagine the intensity of Boston KG, but just with such a higher level of athleticism. Uh, I mean, he was just so freakishly gifted at that point. He could just get his shot off anytime he wanted over anybody. He could shoot, even though he wasn't a three point shooter then, just because nobody played that way. Uh, he could distribute the ball, led the league in rebounding. Just an absolutely dominant season. Uh, that again, kind of gets lost a little because it didn't happen in new york it happened in minnesota and they didn't uh even get to the finals 
Yeah, he could pass as well, too. Five assists for a power forward back in that era was a, an insane number. And, uh, you know, defensively, but probably, if not the best defensive player in the league, the most versatile at that time. And a, a lot of, if you look at some of the plus minus data, that 0304 season by a lot of different metrics uh, is, if not the best, very close to the best on record for a regular season in terms of the on off data. So that's, uh, another thing to consider i mean he was always just in those minnesota years was incredibly high yeah that's the one year that they made it to the conference finals but i mean like statistically the next year when they didn't even make the playoffs he was almost as good yeah i mean there's no reason to think he would have had a big decline from 27 to 28 uh but yeah that was his absolute prime and so many of those years were completely wasted and are really going to hurt him in the all-time discussion but yeah that that was his best year he was clearly the best player in the nba that season steph curry 2016 I, I really I was really holding off on Curry because I wanted to get give you the first swing on Curry because I know you've had a front row seat for a lot of his career so I've been I've been holding back on the Curry and holding back each time you go to me so <laughs> I'm glad you finally got to it well I think that this is the greatest regular season of all time it's I mean given how much they won you know and a 73 win team 31-5 PER 67 true shooting oh my goodness gracious yeah, I, I mean that's like plus plus i think 13 percent relative true shooting is the league average was yeah. uh 54 and the team was uh 16 points per 100 possessions better on offense with him on the floor they had a 17.7 net rating when he was on the floor and uh, the team was 23 points per 100 possessions worse with him off the floor part of that was because he matched most of his minutes with draymond green who was a big part of the defensive improvement there but uh i mean that's insane they were the greatest offense of all time with him on the floor basically and below a point per possession when he was off the floor yep yeah and then you throw in all like that was maybe the greatest clutch team of all time up until the very last game of the season when they they choked mm-hmm. uh in the the finals but yeah i mean obviously one of the greater what ifs is if he hadn't gotten hurt in those 2016 playoffs he still came back and you know got them to the finals they were up 3-1 he had a big game to get them to 3-1 and then draymond green gets suspended and uh, lebron outplays him and he he was better yeah. in that series obviously um so he, got, and, he definitely yeah. wasn't quite himself in those playoffs, and you could see it in the numbers too. Yeah, uh, you know he had the bad turnover at the end of Game Seven with the behind the back pass out of bounds. Uh, the Oak City series, there were times he wasn't great in that series. Uh, yeah. Clay was the guy who ended up bailing him out in the in the Game Six in Oak City. Uh, but the, I mean, the regular season though was so ridiculous. I mean, so ridiculous that uh, you know. That, I mean, is I don't know when the next time someone is realistically going to challenge that record. The way teams manage health now and manage themselves through the season i just don't know when that's going to happen again he also hit 402 three-pointers and despite the becoming a more and more three-point happy era i don't think anyone has even eclipsed 300 since then I and mean, that's just an insane number of three-pointers in one year and the way that that broke defenses in a league that wasn't preferred yeah. for it yeah i mean it, he, it can't he only win 45 percent yeah. of them though nate yeah, yeah i mean that's like it wasn't his usual 42 percent it was 45 
five percent it's just unreal but yeah i mean the playoffs just weren't the same and i mean you can say yeah the, the injury is an excuse but we're talking about what did you actually do and he, he wasn't able to uh finally bring it home eventually i mean he had big games in the playoffs to be sure uh like that game seven against okc which everyone forgets about because the game six was so ridiculous mm-hmm. by clay but that game seven against okc is one of the greatest game sevens i think that's ever been played but uh yeah just he, he was uh unanimous mvp that year right yes yeah yeah it was at the press conference it may have been mentioned once or twice at that press conference <laughs> well certainly i think steph's 2014-15 season if you're going to nominate a second season of his that would be the one that, that the year the warriors blew up they won the championship steph won the mvp uh you know played all the games and everything because then you go back to the later championships durant's there it's just a different dynamic he didn't need to be as dominant uh that that 15 team though uh, plus, he made a 60-foot freaking shot against us over an outstretched Costa Cufos at the end of the third quarter in Game Six that just <laughs> shredded us. Yeah, that that game that Game Six was a, a pretty ridiculous one in uh, in that 2015. His Game Three against Houston as they uh, took that to 3-0 was pretty crazy. Uh, uh, had had another shot to. <clears throat> tie a game that they eventually won in overtime in game three in the first round against new orleans uh yeah it was uh it was really that two season run w- was pretty incredible for him but in the finals again he just didn't put up the raw numbers he got stymied I, I do think that there's his reliance on long range shooting and the lack of just a straight up iso game if teams really wanted to concentrate on just shutting him down they could they couldn't necessarily shut the team down but they could shut him down and, yeah. and that that hurt him to some degree that was obviously cleveland's strategy um you want to do one more here I, I, let's let's save wilt for later because i think it, he's going to be probably our most interesting discussion is there well, any, anyone else if we're, if we're saving wilt for later we should save russell for later too i right? agree yes yes okay um so so give me one more here before we uh we wrap yeah, up i today. Uh, you know i had it pulled up here and then what happened to him um tim duncan 2002-03 that was on my list as well uh, take us through it Sure. So this is one of the five years that the Spurs won the championship. This was the year Duncan won the MVP. NBA basketball was probably at its peak unwatchability this season with the finals between uh, the Nets and Spurs. But relative to how the game was played at the time, Tim Duncan's Game 6 in that series was one of the most dominant games anyone has ever played. Uh, His regular season, I think the thing you have to... Because people think, oh, well, it's the Spurs. He had plenty of help. That year, kind of not. You had a very young... Tony Parker, uh, who didn't even play in the fourth quarter of the clinching game because they went with Speedy Claxton over him. Uh, You had a rookie, Manu Ginobili. You had David Robinson on his last legs. And the other guy you kind of leaned on for offense was Steven Jackson. And he was was almost the number two guy offensively uh, there a a lot of nights. Some nights it was Parker and some nights it was was Captain Jack. And uh, so really not the kind of help you associate with a championship caliber team, but it was just Duncan putting them on his back night after night. He was so awesome defensively particular uh that uh really just just took him to another level and it you know it's hard when you just say the raw numbers because in because of what we've seen since then statistically from players but he was he was so far i think ahead of his most of his peers then i mean it was really him and kg right and I think this season was the pinnacle of one of the all-time great careers. Well, and they beat some pretty good teams that year, too. They beat the 
three-peat Lakers in the second round blew them out in game six in LA and then they beat a 61 win Mavs team Dirk Nowitzki did end up getting hurt but I think they were already up 3-1 I want to say Dirk yeah Dirk Dirk, goes down I'm trying to I'm trying to remember Dirk got when did Dirk get hurt I I think it was a little earlier than that but that yeah that was the year Steve Kerr came in in game six and hit a hit a bunch of ridiculous shots but again it was because they were doubling Tim Duncan on every single play that Kerr was wide open yeah I think Duncan may Maybe a little overrated at times offensively just from a career standpoint but probably underrated defensively of just how ridiculously good he was but yeah that they did not have a ton of other offensive options on that team and uh, you know the Nets team wasn't really any good you know even though they're making back-to-back finals they were uh, not as good as some of the the competition in the West but they definitely beat some real teams and some real Hall of Famers uh, to get there so uh, I agree then that was uh, clearly the best season of his career um all right well let's uh let's pack it in for today but I, we still got to get to bill yeah. russell we got a lot more material to get to and uh you know i think for the people who are listening to this if you have nominations you want us to talk about we could probably talk about a couple of those next week too yeah hit us up uh on twitter in a very nice respectful way of course <laughs> <laughs> um uh, at nate duncan nba uh at john hollinger and uh you've been doing these series for the athletic now writing about uh, like in, in concert with some of the local writers i've been enjoying that yeah exactly so i got a, i got a couple more in the pipeline this week so uh gonna be talking about the nuggets with uh nick kosmider and uh that's that should be out tomorrow and then uh we got a couple more in the pipeline too so but look forward to that and then I got uh I got I got some other things that I'm working on too. We'll see if they get out the door this week or not, and otherwise I'll pimp them on next week's show. Yeah, and for me, uh, Dunked On is still five days a, a week. Uh, today, I'm starting to do a season in review series, a couple of those every week, probably uh, with local beat writers for of those teams. Uh, Anthony Slater, who, who picking the Warriors MVP with uh, with Anthony Slater was was interesting. <laughs> wow, wow. I mean, you know, you you can make an argument the MVP this year is the guy who, who lost you the most games, right? Because that that'll have the most draft equity for them. Uh, the, the name Aaron Baines actually came up. How was he the, the MVP? Guy, he's the guy who fell on Curry's hand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and then obviously the uh, COVID daily news that I'm doing with the, the aforementioned Ben Taylor five days a week is now that that's out. We, we've been taking the biggest news on COVID-19 and trying to synthesize it. We talked about the issue of COVID-19 in the homeless population and, and how that's something that we need to get solved before we're going to reopen the economy. Uh, we talked about this issue of some of the measurements with uh COVID-19 and that maybe some of the negative outcomes that it's causing aren't necessarily being attributed to COVID-19 a lot lot of other interesting stuff we do a daily USA and world news roundup five days a week Sunday through Thursday so if you search for coronavirus Nate Duncan you can find that in uh, your favorite podcast player and uh we'll be back next week thanks so much for listening talk to you then Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.